Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're going to Candyland, a place where mathematicians cook up sugary confections. Did you say mathematicians are making candy? Why? Well, the math behind candy can teach us a lot about the landscape around us. We'll find out how a sweet-toothed mathematician stumbled into making sweet experiments. Let's find out if this story is a trick or a treat. Today, Leif Reistroff is a professor of mathematics. But many years ago, he was just a kid trying to keep his Halloween candy safe. I would always have a, a candy box that I would store all my candy in, and I would hide it away from my brothers and sisters. And so on Halloween, you know, I would go and crack open the, the candy box and restock it up and then go and hide it away somewhere. Yeah, I definitely relate to that. I had two sisters, so I always had to eat my Halloween candy really fast until I realized I was the only one who was eating it. <laughs> I would hide my candy from my parents and my brother <laughs> under my bed in a pillowcase, which I consider the perfect bag for a big candy haul. But Leaf's candy box has really lasted him a long time. <laughs> In, in lab now, we make use of the candy box idea. Leaf runs an experimental math lab, which means that rather than just using numbers, he actually does physical experiments. And he's experimenting with candy. And why does he keep them in a box? To keep his experiments from getting ruined. We have had a few uh, infestations of ants in our lab. If you leave out your samples for too long, you will find uh, many little crawlies in your experiment. That's probably a problem that a lot of his mathematician colleagues don't have, that if they leave their work out for too long, it starts to attract <laughs> bugs. <laughs> well, after finding ants feasting on his experiments, Lee brought the Halloween candy box back into year-round use. <laughs> so tell me, how does a mathematician end up doing experiments with candy? That's a question I desperately wanted the answer to. So I asked Leif. So, yeah, why do we have candy in the lab? Um, we're interested in, in how landscapes take on their shapes. Where do their interesting shapes come from? Wait, wait. So he's saying that he studies landscapes, like mountains and big dramatic rock formations, by using candy, like a literal candy land? That's right. We're in a candy land lab. Ha <laughs> ha. We call it our candy landscapes. That's so delightful, but I really don't get it. Do they just like mold the candy into the shape of like an ocean and the Rocky Mountains and like decorate it with gumdrops and cotton candy and like put little gnomes in it? No, they're actually molding the candy into normal shapes, just like circles or spheres, rectangles and cylinders. And then they put it in water to dissolve. And to dissolve, like how sugar dissolves into coffee or tea? Exactly. It turns out that some of the most mysterious and unusual rock formations on the planet formed by dissolving into water over many, many years. In this case, we wanted to see how these landforms evolved. And so we needed uh, what I call a mock rock. That is a, a mineral that can dissolve 
but not so slow like a natural mineral would. So a mock rock? Do they build the mock rocks into blocks and then they have a mock rock block? <laughs> <laughs> mock rock is like fake rock. Aha. Uh-huh. Mock. <laughs> Rock. The reason he needs a mock rock is to press fast forward on landscapes that would naturally take thousands of years to take shape. So you really need to turn forward the mock rock clock. <laughs> what we have honed in on to study as our mock rock is um, what you would call hard candy. If you've ever had a Jolly Rancher, another like little square hard candy, you felt with your tongue how the candy takes different shapes as it gets smaller. Yeah, Jolly Ranchers, like they kind of flatten out in the panes of candy glass, but lollipops stay rounder. And lollipops were the first mock rock structure that Leaf studied. We studied basically how a lollipop, a, a sphere of candy, changes shape when you put it in a flow. What does that mean, put it in a flow? Think of a round rock sitting in a river or a lollipop in a salivating mouth. And we use that to answer the age-old question, um, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a lollipop? You know, this is something I've been wanting to know since I was a kid in the 80s watching that Tootsie Pop commercial. (laughs) Exactly. The owl said it was about three licks Well, technically it was two licks and then a bite. It really wasn't a scientific method he was employing. I know. I really never trusted that owl. It's good to know that some professionals are actually trying to do a rigorous study. (laughs) Leaf's study was actually about how rivers might erode or dissolve the land around them. But he used a mathematical formula to apply his findings to licks. So what was the real, like, empirically tested scientific answer? So, yeah, somewhere around 1,000. I'm going to have to fact check that, and uh, I'm going to go get a Tootsie Pop right now. (laughs) Well, Leaf doesn't use Tootsie Pops or any other brand of candy in his lab. He actually makes his own. We also kind of perfected a procedure for how to make bubble-free candy. And this is actually really important. So when you're enjoying a lollipop, you might notice that there's typically embedded within the the candy, a bubble or two, maybe lots of them. Now I know what he's talking about. So you're sucking on the candy and like you kind of hit a hole with your tongue, which is a candy cave. Through a lot of sugar and I imagine sweat and stirring, the lab nailed the recipe for bubble-free research-grade candy. So we can control the quality of the material and we can also make it into any shape we want, which is very, very convenient. Basically, the procedure is that they boil the ingredients together and pour it into a mold to harden. Does anyone sneak candy? Like, uh, has anyone seen my experiment? Hey, hey, Reinhold, what's in your mouth? (laughs) Well, the downside of mathematicians being the ones making candy is that they're not really concerned about taste. (laughs) But the thing is, we didn't really have any, like, nice flavors or anything, so it was basically just sugar. I feel like if they tried, like, just a little harder, they could be, like, science's Willy Wonka factory. Could be Willy Wonka's research-grade candy. (laughs) They're really just one logical step away. Just add a chocolate river running through the lab, and then, like, take its temperature every so often and put it in a spreadsheet. Voila! Science! (laughs) 
Well, at the Candy Lab, wacky things are already happening. One day, Leaf and his team forgot about a candy cylinder that they left sitting in a tub of water. Um, I, th- I think we had other plans for it, um, and then we stepped away. And it actually only takes like about an hour or so. It only takes an hour or so for for what? For the candy to dissolve into a surprising shape. And what wasn't you know before a nice smooth object now has been carved into this spike like a dagger. A candy dagger? Dum, dum, dum! Yeah, it was like a cone at the bottom thinning out into a sharp point on top. A student working in the lab was the first one to notice it. And it was so sharp and so fine that he couldn't resist kind of getting his hand down in the tank and maybe like touching it just to see it, you know, how sharp is it? And he did that and actually pricked his finger, cut himself on the thing. Wow, I never knew candy could be so dangerous. (laughs) The student was fine, but the fact that the tip was so incredibly thin and sharp caught Leaf's attention. They repeated what had happened first by accident, leaving the candy in the water. And every time, the candy made a spike. What's interesting is, once it kind of like first makes this pointy shape, it then keeps it. It really, really likes to to be that shape. And what happens then is it sort of like shrinks in size, so it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. No matter how small it gets, it stays a spike until it completely disappears. And that happened every time with every experiment? Yes. In fact, no matter what kind of shape you start with, if you dissolve it in water, you'll get a spike. That's so weird. So... How did Leaf find out why candy wants to be a spike? First, his team recreated the dissolving candy with math. They made a mathematical model to figure out the rules behind what was happening. The model works kind of like a video game, and it let them play around with their ideas of what caused the candy to become a spike. So it's kind of like a mathy candy crush. Right. They took a closer look at the real candy next. They suspected that something was happening with the water that they couldn't see. So we had to play lots of the tricks that we play to make the flow of the water visible. Using a strong laser light, Leaf could watch how tiny particles moved through the water. He saw how the water, the candy, and gravity interacted. The candy molecules that were in the solid, they jump into the fluid. So that's literally the process of something dissolving. Right, and then gravity pulls the candy molecules down the side of the shape. And they're, they're heavy. They're heavier than the water around them. So they start to fall and drag all the liquid with it. So they drag the water down. Oh, so it's kind of like an avalanche flowing down a mountain. Yeah, but instead of the molecules tumbling down just once, they're continually falling and dragging the water with it. And the tendency that we kind of discovered and then explained, at least mathematically, um, is that these flows tend to make the object into a spike, regardless of how you started out the thing. It's so simple, but it makes so much sense. When things dissolve, they're being washed away, and that reshapes them. Yes. And then remember, the whole reason for studying candy in the first place is because it can show us how rock 
dissolves. Great, the mock rock. So after we were making these candy spikes, we were like, hey, if this thing is making a spike no matter what, then this has got to show up in nature. Meaning there should be sharp, spiky rocks somewhere. Yeah, and there are. They're called stone forests. Oh, that sounds so hardcore. What does a stone forest look like? So you should think of rock that is, you know, maybe even as tall as some buildings. There are sharp spikes pointed upwards, and there's many, many, many of them. So that's the name of a, that's how they get the name of a forest. Leaf's favorite stone forest is in Madagascar. I'm going to show you a picture right now. Whoa, that is so cool. It's like walking amongst, I don't even know what. (laughs) (laughs) It literally looks like trees, just like stretching out, but they're definitely rocks. Yeah, and there are a few ideas out there as to how these stone forests might have formed through like a complicated history of geologic events, like this thing happening, then that thing happening. But Leaf's candy hypothesis is much simpler. Maybe there doesn't need to be some kind of intricate sequence of events to make a stone forest. Maybe the tendency to make a spiky kind of shape is the natural one. I have to say, I really love how this fun candy math experiment could help solve a real mystery in the real world. There's really so much going on in Leaf's lab. You've got candy, math, physics, geology. But Leaf says that the most important part is curiosity. Science, you make it the impression that it's about getting the numbers right. And it, and it so is. Like, we, we care about that a lot. But I think there's this childlike wonder, this curiosity that, that you should have. And you should work super hard to maintain as long as possible. Hopefully you'll go like Do you want to do your own candy science? Leaf's experiment can be done at home. We have Leaf's recipe for research-grade candy on our website. We'll say that the trick to bubble-free candy is to cool it very slowly in the mold so that all the bubbles rise up to the top and pop. If you don't want to make your own candy, we had fun throwing store-bought hard candy in water and making observations about how it dissolved, how long it took, what it looked like, and what it smelled like. I see here that we've put down that it smelled like watermelon. (laughs) As you observe your dissolving candy, come up with your own ideas or hypotheses for what's happening and why. Thanks to Leif Reistroff, Assistant Professor of Mathematics at New York University. You can find pictures and videos of candy spikes and stone forests on the blog post for this episode on our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com. And for patrons, we have a special bonus interview episode with Leaf to learn more about why he studies what's called fluid dynamics. Just pledge $1 or more a month at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. Sarah Lentz is Tumble's head of partnerships and designed the episode art. She also did some research on this episode, too. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I make all of the music. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more stories of science discovery.